0: So um, I want to begin by bringing you guys into some things that have been going on in our house, in our household for the past week or so. Uh, If you can put this picture up, Andrew, first thing, this is, uh, all right, so those of you who know our sons know that Reed is on the right, he's almost five, and Blaine is on the left, he's almost three. Uh, We, the Corzine family at this point, lives in a three-bedroom house, and that house, and Reed and Blaine uh, have been able to uh, have their own bedrooms uh, but there is, there is a Una problema, which means um, mommy is pregnant, and she's going to have a baby in, th- in three months from now, roughly, um, and actually, I remember last time I was preaching, I accidentally, that's how I let it slip that she was pregnant, so I think that, t- that tends to be how I share news um, in front of 800 people on a Wednesday night, so, uh, but, but she's pregnant with a baby girl, so this this baby girl is is not going to share a room with one of her brothers, and uh, if it's within the Lord's will, I would rather that baby never share a room with mom and dad while they're still a baby. We've done so well not having any bassinets in there. So we've had to make some shifting because in the meantime, many of you who've been around here for the past year or so know that last summer you prayed for, uh, for our house to sell. We live about a half an hour away and we've been trying to move here in, uh, in here into St. Charles for the sake of opportunities that God has for us here and just abilities to be able to minister and just live um, Better as a family, as, as we juggle the back and forth and just the, the fellowship and the opportunities that we have with, with you guys here. And so uh, the no actually was the answer to those prayers all throughout last year. Now, we, we got to the end of the selling season. We realized this is probably going to take a, a deeper amount of financial sacrifice on our part that we're not ready for. So we, we went back to the drawing board. We were, we're back uh, back at home over the winter and in the spring, some on the market, um, so I want to say that first, just to ask anybody who continues to pray for us in that, please continue to pray that God would take care of that. Uh, the process is is unnerving at times, it's discouraging at times, but at the end of the day, I know that, that whatever happens to us, I know that we're in His hands and we're going to be okay. We just want to be here. We want to be with you guys, and that there's still a lot of pain in that, there's still a lot of struggle in that as we make those moves, and, and I mean, we love where we live, but we just we want to be around you more, and so... Um, there's hard changes that need to happen in our house, and that change for the past three or four days has been uh, our. I guess longer than that. It feels like it's a lot longer than that. Uh, these two boys sharing a room for the very first time. So, um, how many of you uh, shared a room with a sibling or somebody growing up? Okay, it's funny. I was I was teaching, uh, helping teach one of the classrooms in the ML kids a couple of weeks ago, and Reese and Rowan Short. I, I asked them because you know Justin and Becca. We used to be lock family leaders with them. We we hung at their house all the time. And I said, man, do you guys still share a room? Because I knew they shared a room back in the day. And, and uh, one of them said, yeah, we share a room, you know, and Truman, their younger brother, said Truman's the only one that has to have his own room in their house. Because mommy and daddy, obviously, they get to have a room. It's like a, a, the prize is getting to have a room uh, with somebody else. Now, in the beginning, this was like butting heads. Uh, in the end, I'd say it actually is working out pretty well, except they go to sleep no less than at least 90 minutes after they're supposed to go to sleep because now they have a I heard this thing. This thing happened... Um, over the weekend, our house was absolutely a mess because you up in one room, you end up with stuff all over the place. And, and I'm in the kitchen and I hear, um, I hear some, some change clanking around. And then I hear Sarah, my wife, she, she runs into the room. She's like, "Read, no, 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 no. And I'm thinking, what? Is he hurt or something? And then she came out. She said, he, he poured all of his money into this thing in Emery's room. And I said, He poured all of his money? She said, Yeah, he was giving his money to Emery, to his new baby sister when she comes. And I thought, and I was like, man, because we're trying to, I mean, it's birthday money. You want to keep that separate. We want to kind of have an idea of what he's got there. But after a while, I was able to sit down with him and say, I I'm really proud of you for doing that. Because as, as you're going to learn when you get older, money is one of the most hard things to give up. And, and so it's really awesome that you're learning how to do that at an early age. And so here's the thing, though. Tonight, tonight's all about sending. It's all about letting go it's really hard to let go of the things that you care about and value the most. Any, any of you in here who've said goodbye to kindergartners for the first time this year? Any parents in here who've sent your kids off or are, at that, are on that bubble where, where you're getting ready to, to send kids out of the house for the first time, uh, moving out, knows perhaps as much as anybody else how difficult it is to let go of, of, of what you care about so much. Um, but... Um, We all struggle to hold on to our possessions. Tonight we'll see that the way to freedom, Lord willing, is exactly in participating in God's mission. And so tonight um, we're going to sidestep the book of Joshua just for one night. And we're going to get into the book of Acts. Um, We preached in the book of Acts a number of years ago. And I had to actually, I wanted to check with Mark because I wanted to ask, hey, do you mind if I preach something that you've preached before? And he's like, no, don't worry I was like, it's been three years. It's okay. Like, well, it could have been last week. it Could have been all right. But I'm, you know, I, I don't want to do that. So, so we, we cleared it. It's good. And so, turning your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter one. And to your uh, to your rest and ease, we're only going to actually go through five verses. Five verses, but five verses that are so unbelievably powerful. So tonight, um, you can take the picture down. By the way, of they're they're cute. I'll look at them all night. But that's that's good. T- um, tonight. Uh, a big topic in this sermon, something that we intersect with, is a God's global mission. International mission. God's big picture mission. It's what the Bible's about from the very beginning to the very end. And and so you, you wonder, I wonder, you know, if you may be wondering why am I preaching this particular passage on, on this particular topic, even as we still walk verse by verse, it, it, I want to let you know that about a year ago I was able to step into taking on the responsibility of uh, prayerfully and praisefully uh, a handful of missionaries over the years to do various aspects of mission. We've had an f- over five-year-long partnership with some Ecuadorian missionaries uh, and, a, and a pastor in a, a jungle village in Santana that you hear about sometimes. We used to have a room named after him, but we knocked that down because we wanted the, the thing to be bigger. That wasn't against Pastor Darío at all. The Santana room still lives on in our hearts. But we, we really, really, we do care about international mission. But there's a different layer to that, and, and as we've grown as a church, numerically, and as we continue just to, to age as a church, I believe that God is showing us so many more opportunities on how we can be a church that's a church, a church that lets go, and a church that recognizes that the global mission thing doesn't just have to do with a few of those crazy missionaries who, who go, that this actually affects how we live here and every one of us and how we participate and pray in this. So Acts chapter 1, Paul, uh, he, he begins, I say Paul, Paul didn't write Acts, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke picks up, uh, Luke the gospel writer, uh, he picks up where the other gospel writers left off as well. Christ has uh, been incarnate, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he live a, lived a sinless life, ministered to others, uh, healed those who were oppressed and sick and, and diseased and, and proclaimed the gospel of the freedom of God's kingdom in his name. Christ died on the cross paying the penalty for our sin so that we would be reconciled, began. Uh, Christ began to appear to his disciples soon after that resurrection. And then those disciples, he told them, "Go, uh, don't, don't just go running for the hills, stay here in Jerusalem, because he has something that he has to say to them. And that's what we're going to read tonight. In Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples come together and they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All of Jesus' early disciples, that the, the 12 and Judas is is, is gone by now, uh, but the 11 that remain and, and, and one was replaced with Matthias, so aptly named is our church, uh, that all these disciples were Jewish. And Israelites had an expectation that when the Messiah came that he would vindicate them because they they had been slaves on and off throughout their life and they still lived under a deep Roman oppression so they were desiring to be free so they asked Jesus they expect okay so now Jesus you've you've resurrected from the grave at this time is this how it's going to happen right now let's go knock on Pontius Pilate's door let's go kick the Romans out are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel or to or for Israel is what the preposition can be are you You're going to give this to us at this time. And I believe that their early struggle is they see Christ. They want to have power. They want to be able to call the shots. They want to be able to have things their way. And Christ gives them an answer that uh, I don't think they expected whatsoever. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he doesn't say yes or no. Jesus often doesn't answer yes or no questions with a yes or no. Uh, he answers their question when they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to us by saying it's, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. God has all authority. One point in the Gospels, Jesus says that not even the Son, not even himself at that time knew how this was all going to play out in the timing. But he says, you, you, you shouldn't dwell on the times or the seasons. And we're going to build it one sentence tonight. Uh, if you walk away from tonight and you can remember this one sentence, which we're going to build in three parts, then I think you're going to get a pretty good idea of what we're doing here. So the first part of that sentence that we're going to say is this. If we can't let go of our own kingdoms, we are wasting our time. If we can't let go of our own kingdoms, we are wasting our times. Uh, We all have these little kingdoms that the world around us teaches us to build. And I, I like success as much as the next person. But the world around you, if you watch commercials for an hour, or if you read magazines, or the, I mean, there's all these things that if you just read the messages, you know. The reason why I say kingdom here in this is because a kingdom is really all about um, prestige and power and comfort in many ways. The world will tell you things um, from a young child on up, like uh, what, uh, how, what kind of a job you should get to be successful, what kind of... Um, a person you should try to meet someday, if you're called to be married, or what, how much money you need to have, what kind of house that you can dream in your mind. And then you get older and you realize that none of those houses are, are, most people can't even afford those houses. Why did I, why was I unable to like this house in my mind that nobody could afford that house? Come on. But the world teaches you and tries to basically tell you, and we grow up in that mindset that there's a certain kind of thing that I deserve in life, a certain kind of thing that I should go after. But When we become a Christian, everything changes. Everything changes because the little kingdoms that we're taught to strive after by the world around us all get blown out of the water because you learn after you accept Christ that there's only one kingdom. As a matter of fact, there's only one king, and that's Jesus himself. So God's kingdom supersedes all of this, and the ways that we see around us in the world are not yet the way they will be one day, but... But you learn that there's only one kingdom, and what matters in that kingdom is that God gets what he wants. He rules and reigns. He is loving, benevolent, self-giving, and completely glorified uh, through self-sacrificial love. Import this worldly kingdom mentality sometimes into our own discipleship, into our following of Christ. And if we're not very careful, then you wake up one day and you realize that the, the, the successful definition for you of following Jesus means... You get to have your personal Bible time in the morning at, at, the, at the set time, and, and you get your, your personal study that you can buy, and you can afford it because Lifeway Bookstore and Family Christian Stores are in town. Uh, you, you get to have your special cup of coffee while you do it. The, the, now, everything I just said right there, I love all of those three things. I'm just going to say that. You should know that. But here's the deal. That's all under our control. So what we can fall back into sometimes is we, we learn that the kingdom belongs to God himself and it's all about what he desires. But slowly, sometimes we start to pick back up these little kingdoms and, and then we sprinkle a little God on top of that kingdom so that he will bless our kingdom and we fall victim to that. If we can't let go of our own kingdoms, we are wasting our time. Just like Christ is telling these disciples, actually, and we're going to begin to see how it's going to work out in this passage, uh, that's not what you need to be worried about right now you don't need to be worried about how soon this is all going to take place when you're going to be taken care of because i have a job for you i have a mission for you and he shares that right now in verse eight in verse eight he says but you will receive power is dunamis it's where we get our english word dynamite from it means power it means ability enablement You know, Jesus is saying, you will receive, for this mission that I'm about to tell you, you will receive an explosive, powerful thing that is going to carry you in this mission. And that's the Holy Spirit. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the mission. So when I think about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times as I've gone on through the Christian life, I've I've tried to figure out, man, what is the, what's the Holy Spirit's main role in our life? And how does this work out? Because I, and I myself, I find myself talking a lot about, man, the Spirit led me to do this, or I just felt the Spirit move, or, or spiritual gifts, things like that, that are all biblical, and, and, and all that stuff's totally good. But, but all of that is superseded by the fact that it seems like Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is first given to guide the church on its mission. And that the Acts of the Apostles, what this book is called, really probably should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is equipping you not just to feel certain ways, not just uh, to convict you of certain things. Christ even says himself that he's going to convict the, the world of sin and, and unrighteousness, but he's going to guide us into all truth so that we can live on mission. So these apostles that are hearing Jesus say this, mission, He says, "You're going to receive the ability, the explosive power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses." Um, you will be my race That's where we get our word martyr from. You're going to be the ones who testify, even to the very end to this thing. It's going to be in Jerusalem. It's going to go all throughout Judea, surrounding Jerusalem. It's going to go up north to Samaria, which it does in the book of Acts. And it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And namely in the, books of, in the book of Acts, it goes from, from Syria on down to Rome. And, and then the book of Acts ends and the gospel is still going. Uh, if those of you... If there are some of you in the room who haven't made this connection, we are in what's called an Acts 29 church. And I don't know if you've done the searching yet, but there's no Acts 29 in the Bible. Do you know that? I hope you understand this. That wasn't a typo or like the greatest marketing mistake ever. We are a part of a church planting network that seeks to continue the mission that clearly is not done in the book of Acts. And so Acts 29, the the thing that really sets us apart is we desire to be a church, and churches that plant churches that continue to send out to replicate to to not hoard everything within ourselves but to send out, and so that's who we desire to be. If we get back to our statement here, uh, which we began by saying, if we can't let go of our own kingdoms, we are wasting our time. We can continue after this. Let go of our own kingdoms. We are wasting our time because God calls us to carry out the mission of His kingdom. We waste time worrying about our own kingdoms because. God has given us something else to focus on first and more. It takes priority. It's more valuable. It's more sure. It's, it's, we, we can bank on it more. Uh, he gives us a mission to carry out for his kingdom. So what is the mission? I was hired on staff in this church six and a half years ago to implement a, a lifestyle of disciple-making. And if anybody along the way would have asked me, what's the mission, what's the church called to do? We felt the conviction that the church it was called to make disciples, that many of us had not experienced that growing up, but the church is called to make disciples. I would say this is the mission in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Which brings me to a confession. And even though I've, I've, I've thought through this, I've thought through how to say this, I've, I've outlined it in my mind, I genuinely just step forward and, and want to come to you and say that I'm very sorry for something. I'm very, very sorry for something. It was basically disconnected from anything related to evangelistic mission where people share the gospel. Because I saw it like this. The, the gospel sharing stuff, that all happens out there. We have, we love St. Charles for that kind of stuff. But man, when they get inside the church, man, we're going to disciple them. We're not just going to leave them as converts. We're going to train them up. We're going to educate them. We're going to grow them in doctrine and theology. And by itself, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. I love theology. I love doctrine. I love how it draws us to deeper worship of who God is. But I had no way of understanding the place of discipleship within God's mission. That disciple-making is, is fundamentally missional. The Great Commission didn't just say, go make disciples. It, it said, go make disciples of all the nations. Which implies that as you're going along to all these nations, as you continue to live missionally, the thing that you're called to do as you share the gospel is to make disciples. And, and I, I stand here today really just asking um, for forgiveness in some ways and hoping that some of my struggle can give you words to, to, to maybe some of the ways that you uh, can or maybe have struggled with this whole thing about disciple-making that we talk about. If, if you have ever felt, ever, myself or Pastor Mark or anybody, you need to go make disciples, then I'm very sorry because it's my failure that you didn't understand from the very beginning that the invitation to make disciples is an invitation into God's mission. It's not just something that we do disconnected from the world. It's something that we're called to do living together faithfully, life on life in the world. So what is the mission? You, you could say this. It's, it's sharing the gospel with those who've never encountered it or who've never encountered it with a soft heart. And secondarily, as the Holy Spirit going before the apostles in the book of Acts, going and paving the way for the work that they're going to do, as the Holy Spirit softens people's hearts to receive Jesus Christ, then we disciple them. We, we teach them. We show them what it looks like to follow Christ. But the way that becomes even more missional is that the more we do that around the world, around our families, around our coworkers, around people out in public, the more people see something that is different. Fundamentally, disciple-making and discipling relationships should open the door for other people to see an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to want that and to ask about that. you know, Me discipling Sam should lead to Sam being better equipped to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ. The work that we do together, the life that we live together should enable God's mission to happen more and more through us. Around the world, in the hardest-to-reach places of the world, um, what often happens is disciple-making movements where individuals are coming to Christ through the sharing verbally of the gospel disciple-making movements like that are what fuel church planting. Because in hard-to-reach areas, you can't just walk in and throw down a business card and a brand name and say, here's our church, we're going to show up on, we're going to be here Wednesdays and Sundays we'll be in homes. You can't do that. You just can't do that in most parts of the world that already want to stomp out the gospel. So underground disciple-making movements actually fuel and carry God's mission. And so that is the mission. If we are called to follow Jesus Christ... Like Keith read in the beginning, if we if we deny ourselves and take up our cross and and follow Christ in that way, then we find our life. If we fundamentally, basically want to follow Jesus in all we do, where do we think he's going? Practically, tangibly, where do you think Jesus Christ is going throughout your life? I mean, right now we would say, and we're going to read here in just a second, that he's, he's going to ascend to... To physically reign and sit up at the right hand of god the father but the holy spirit is the presence of christ with us with the church so if you take a if you take a poll from the last 48 hours of your life where were you how did you spend your time who did you approach who did you avoid what does that reveal about where you think personally along with probably many of you in this room is is that is that you have allowed yourself to believe that Jesus is basically an insulated, slipper-wearing suburbanite who stays away from everything else. And as somebody who grew up in St. Charles County, I grew up like five minutes away from here, I know what it's like to feel like you're doing really good by getting a couple bridges away from all the dangerous stuff downtown, and we even build our own baseball stadiums out here. I mean, I love the Rascals, even though I haven't watched the game in like six years. But I'm just saying, we've, we, we live that insulated life. Does that, does that reveal where we think Christ is going? And for the record, I don't think Christ is any more or less for suburb versus urban versus anything like that. Everybody needs Christ. But we have to be very careful to not insulate ourselves away from where Christ may be leading us. So I'll tell you some places where he could be going. Possibly. The Holy Spirit could be softening hearts to receive the gospel in your family. How about your spouse? There are there are covenant members of this church whose spouses are not Christians. And we shouldn't give up on that. Um, and by the way, the first person I wake up to every day, which, praise God, is my wife, and then um, when those two little rugrats get up and start banging on stuff, that's the second area of mission. And, and then when I leave the house, that, that's, that's just the next thing. Like every, these concentric circles of mission that we live out, if we, if we live them in the closest relationships on out, then by the time we get to the stranger, man, it's like second nature because we've already been living on mission and listening to what Christ wants us to do because we've already done it on these, these initial layers. But maybe it's your family, uh, maybe your children, we don't do this over here, by the way, for babysitting. We don't care about babysitting. Other people could probably babysit much better than we can. We do what we do over there in the MO Kids Ministry because we desire for every one of those little boys and girls to come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. And beyond that, oh my good, I, I, hope, I hope this is not offensive, but we, uh, I and some others with me, have prayed for these kids, for any number of these kids to become missionaries to be sent out to wherever God wants them. Hmm. What about your coworkers? Uh, I'm at a disadvantage on this one because I think all my coworkers are Christians. But many of you, <laughs> many of you live in different kinds of circumstances. Could Christ be going there? Could he be softening the hearts of who they are? What about our community at large? Our community at large, man, I, I love Mark's quick tree. one of us has whether at the gas station or neighbors or through We Love St. Charles. My goodness, I sat, I sat in on the love awards that happened just a couple of weeks ago at Jefferson Intermediate School and watched a whole bunch of these kids get nominated by their teachers for all these acts of self-sacrificial love and to be celebrated in front of the school and for the superintendent and the mayor and the police chief and the fire chief uh, to be there and to see that and to realize that actually it's, it's not about just good community service. The deepest desire, for my understanding of mission at this point, for what God calls us to be locally and internationally, my deepest desire through We Love St. Charles is for people to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we do it. That's why Nancy Strebe busts her tail to do it. So locally there's mission around us. But there's, there's one other big main a group that we haven't really talked about yet. We've, as I said earlier, we've been partnering with a missionary team in Ecuador for many years now uh, to continue to be committed to a particular jungle, a village in which there are some Christians and that number prayerfully will grow more and more. Um, but there's this whole area of, of the globe's population that, uh, that we frankly haven't talked about much at this church. And I think it's probably because most of us just have not encountered this very much because it seems so crazy that somebody can live in a people group and a gospel at all, but God can and is on a daily basis converting Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and post-Christians. And I mean, from from reached nations that have gone dead in some ways to unreached people groups, there are people coming to Christ every single day in ways that can only be attributed to the Holy Spirit. So um, I could try to, to tell you um, all the facets of what an unreached people group is. But, but I want to show you this, and maybe this will explain it better. We're not talking about people who are lost and don't know the Lord. We're talking about people who are lost and don't know the Lord, and there's nobody who speaks their language that can tell them. There is no church that exists. There is no uh, not a large enough group of people within that people group, uh, within that tribe or nation, to, to reach themselves. That's an unreached people group. In Pakistan, 97% of the people are Muslim, unengaged. In Turkey, 99%. There are over 50 unreached people groups just in Iran. Over 99% of the people of Maldives are unengaged. One of the most close countries in the world to the gospel. 99% of Afghan people are Muslim. And I'm riding through the city on my bike and I just look around me and I see mobs of people mobs of people and looking into their faces and remembering to look into their faces and um, thinking is there one of these people do one of these people know Jesus probably not probably not around the city Seeing so many students around, 11 and a half million people as I commute, the whole train is filled with people, and the reality that, that less than one percent of them are Christian just—that's uh, what really breaks my heart. And seeing the need for the gospel here. Here at the air. what you want to do is change people's hearts and change millions of people's hearts, this isn't something that you can do in the flesh. So prayer is really the lifeblood of our work. The core of the gospel is life on life. It's people touching other people. And if there's anything we can do, it's to get the people that are that are here, connected with the people that are there. in this room than many people groups do entirely. Now I can show you a video like that and then we can wrap up and send you on your way and you can be left you know wondering, well, I'm sure somebody will take care of it. I'm sure God is sending certain people you know what you know what is our hope after reading statistics like that and, and looking at people like that? Is our hope that there are some crazy people like Tyler and Crystal Gleaves and Rosie Gleaves who's gonna to learn to be crazy cause she's gonna be on the mission field learning all that. Is, is, is our hope that there are some crazy people willing to do that? Or Beth Ann or Julia or, or Molly or Natalie or Justin and Mary? No, our hope is not that some people are crazy enough to go. I would argue this, our hope is that God, our God, the only one true God, is ascending God. Now let me explain what, what I mean by that. I I have read theology, learned theology, been to seminary, taught college theology classes, and you walk through all the, all the basics. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God, God, God is all these big words. But nobody ever told me or taught me that God... Fundamental to his nature is ascending missionary God. So from the beginning of all things, he's a God who who gives of himself, who speaks, who who lets go and speaks his creation into motion. He's a God who, after the fall and the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, he he, he sends them away, but but not mankind for good. He's a God who who sends Abraham uh, to a place he had never known without knowing where he was going. He sends The whole story is just unbelievable. He sends David into a palace to be a king over his people. He sends the whole nation of Israel to be slaves, but then to be freed to tell the story of redemption. He sends them to be lights to the nations. The word became flesh, and God sent his son to dwell among us. Mm. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And Christ, at this moment in the book of Acts, when the apostles are wanting jesus to usher in the kingdom here and now jesus says it's not time yet because now i'm sending you if we misunderstand or lack any kind of a comprehension or a heart for god's mission is we misunderstand the fact that he is ascending god it is it is his being. It is part of who he is. And you and I, brothers and sisters, we are made in that God's image, which means that if we live lives holding on to our own kingdoms, if we live lives with tight fist grips over our stuff and, and over the people that we love, instead of sending, instead of being willing to release and to desire first and foremost that the gospel would go where it's never gone before, if we live any other life than that, then we're not living according to his image according to how we can truly find life as a human being I believe if you're not sending under the under the shadow of this sending God by the power of the Holy Spirit then you are not living the abundant life that Jesus Christ said he came so that we could live We were made in the image of the one who has been sending from the very beginning and he's given them and he's given us this mission so um, here's the question that, that is, is good to wrestle with in this am I finding my place in God's mission or uh, trying to fit him into my mission it's convicting do I, do I seek to go where I already see him, him moving or do, do I seek to, uh, to share the gospel and make disciples or, or do I try to cram and squeeze God into things that I want to do and ask him to bless that Church, we are called to be the church that basically always cares about people, more and more people coming to know Jesus Christ. And I think from the very beginning of this church's existence, we've actually embraced that so well in a local context. And I believe that as our church has has grown up in a lot of ways and is growing up, I, I think it's time to grow up in how we send people. Um... The chapter, not the chapter, the verse, uh, comes back around because if Jesus sends them on the mission and they just go out into the void, what kind of assurance do they have? Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 9, as we read these last three verses, it brings it back around. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Just so you understand what you're reading right here, this is the physical ascension of Jesus Christ where his body rises from the earth up to be with the Father in heaven. Which is no small deal. But as crazy as it is, I don't think that's the main point of this passage. Christ ascends to be with the Father. has all authority on heaven and on earth to begin the next phase of the mission. We can never, I want you to hear this, we can never, ever, ever achieve what Christ achieved in his cross and resurrection. But the church is calling, our task is to implement what he achieved to all the places that we can reach that have never heard it before. So in Acts chapter 10, or chapter 1, verse 10, it says, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, two men stood by them in white robes, probably angels. Luke talks about two men in fine clothing elsewhere, and they were angels. Probably angels coming out of nowhere to tell them this in verse 11. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I fear that we get caught standing and staring too often when there's so much work to be done. You get what the angel's saying. He says, why are you standing up there? The, the helper that he promised is about to come. He's going to be with you. But there's, there's no time to waste. Uh, if we come back to our sentence that we've been building here, we've said if, if we can't let go of our own kingdoms, we're wasting our time because God calls us to carry out the mission of his kingdom. We can end it by saying this until it is finished. In this. Because he doesn't send them out aimless. He doesn't send them out until, Lord knows when, he, he sends them out saying, you, you are gonna carry on my next, uh, the next phase of, of this mission, of God's mission, but um, but you're not the end of it because something's gonna happen and, and I'm gonna come back. So I wanna be clear about something. there There is not an endless amount of time in which people can just continue to live their lives however they wanna live, in which any of us, the people that we know, can live their lives however they wanna live without at least being forced to encounter the truth, the life-giving truth should they accept it that Jesus Christ died for them. The mission continues until a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. At the return of Jesus Christ, only those who have accepted Christ will be saved. So what kind of life does this set us up for? The truth is some of us, God may may give us different resources on that mission. Some of us may call to, to, to succeed in more worldly ways, to reach more worldly places that aren't reached by traditional methods. Some, he may call us, we were wrestling with this driving home last week. You know, we think that God's calling us to a certain size house, but my goodness, I guess, I guess he could call us to live in as small of a house as he wanted us to. You know, Bilbo Baggins lived in a hole in the ground, so, uh, you know, he's a hobbit, and that's like as close to the Bible as you can get as J.R.R. Tolkien, so come on, it's either way. And he can do what he wants. He doesn't need a five-bedroom house or a four-bedroom house or a 10-bedroom house to do mission. He can do mission however he wants. And we can show love either way. So what kind of life does this set us up for? Matthew chapter 24, I believe Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, he gives them a taste of what is to come for them and for us. Matthew 24 For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake, for that beautiful name we sang about. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and, and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased endures to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come so my friends brothers and sisters you and I almost everybody in this room most of us have not yet been called to go uh, to go cross-culturally, to go internationally, to go to where the gospel is, has not taken root or never been even heard yet. Most of us have not yet received that call, but all of us have, have a place in this mission. And I believe it's the global mission that gives us a context to do the American mission, right? You know the gospel wasn't created in North America. So the only reason why any of us believe is because somebody reached the places that we eventually drew down from in our own line. We are all the products of missionary work in some way, form, form or fashion. So as we as a church continue to wrestle with what it means to share Christ, to share the gospel, to make disciples together, to live in this life of disciple making, to live in the mission, I believe the best way to, to question ourselves is is this until Christ returns, how can I give, pray, or go? Every one of us. Every one of us called to give, pray, and go. Who can I give? For parents who send out missionary children, it's an unbelievable sacrifice. What can I give? What uh, God? How? How? How is prayer needed? God, show me. Please show me who to pray for. Help me to pray for some of these unreached people groups who've never even heard the gospel. God, just lay Your work on my heart. How can I go? Now every one of us will wake up tomorrow morning and we will walk we will walk out of our house or our apartment or our dorm room or or wherever you may live and you're going to go somewhere. Now how are you going to go? Is it for your kingdom or or is it for his is it for your mission or or for his? Tonight I believe with my whole heart that the invitation to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow Jesus Christ, it causes us to lose everything. But it also causes us to gain everything. Jesus said that uh, nobody who sacrifices uh, houses and clothing and and children and things like this will uh, will fail to gain tenfold in, 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 in eternal life in the age to come. But until then... If we're going to sacrifice everything, then I believe that the very next step, offer got everything. Offering him the things that we struggle to give, offering the people that we struggle to send, offering the, the bitterness that we struggle letting go of, offering anything that hinders us from participating as fully alive human beings made in his image on this mission. God, I, I pray that you would stir in us. God, stir in us the not just the call to go, but God, I I pray that you would help us to see the hearts and the minds and the people behind that number 2.6 billion. God, so many lost in our city. So much work that we've been a part of in, in years in this church, but God, there's so much more to do. Continue to open doorways in this city for people to hear the gospel through any way that we can be a part of that. God, help us to share God, I pray that you would continue to raise up missionaries in our midst, that you would send people from our church to these places in the world, even the hard-to-reach, unreached places that have never even heard the gospel. God, we thank you for those who have been called so far, and we pray that tonight would be a blessing to them. God, I, I just ask that as we worship tonight, we wouldn't worship as, as people who are trying to figure out what side of the missionary line we're on. I pray that you would, God, stir deep down within us, every single one of us, the joy of realizing that you are ascending God. You're the sending God who spoke the gospel into our hearts, who enabled us by your Holy Spirit to believe and to follow King Jesus. God help us to continue to yours. Jesus Christ, thank you for everything that we could not do, and for reconciling us for all time with God the Father. Father, be glorified in our worship.